It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. A little while back on one of our episodes, I talked about the uncomfortable physical sensation of shame or embarrassment. And I'm not sure if I touched upon another reason that I physically feel that way sometimes. Jason, you'll have to correct me if I already touched upon this, but I have been reflecting a lot recently about the feeling of rejection. And I think rejection is often associated with romance, like somebody romantically rejecting you. But it also can come up in a lot of little ways and and also some big ways in our professional lives, in our friendship. And things like our education, of course, like when I think about other forms of rejection, I'll think about getting rejected from a college or something, which, which I've experienced. I can't remember, Jason, were you ever rejected from a college that you wanted to go to or, or were you one of the, the lucky ones that got into all the colleges that you applied to? I got accepted to all the colleges I applied to. Wow. <laughs> Look at you. Gosh, I actually... Reflecting back, there was one school in particular that I got rejected from. I really wanted to go to NYU in the Tisch film program because that's what I studied and was very passionate about for many years. And I vaguely remember the feeling of being rejected. I have this memory of going out to the mailbox and getting the rejection letter. And funny enough, I think I actually documented it on video. I had been really into making videos for a good chunk of my life. And in high school, I started doing a lot of documenting. I would bring my camcorder because this is pre-iPhones. I would bring that camcorder to school and, and document all sorts of things. And people thought it was so strange. And it's kind of funny to look back on that now because it's so commonplace to document life these days because we have cameras in our pockets. They're attached to our phones. And it's just become very socially acceptable. But when I was in high school, it wasn't like that. So I was weird because I would carry around my camera, which was really expensive. I bought it myself. I saved up money from babysitting and was making a ton of videos. And that's where my interest in film production developed. And and that's why I really wanted to go to NYU because at the time, and maybe it still is, it was like one of, if not the best film school. And, And there was this idea that if you went to NYU you would have a higher chance of being successful, which later in life I learned was not really the case. (laughs) I ended up going to Emerson College, which also has a phenomenal film school and actually started going up in the ranks over time. So I started to feel more proud about it. (laughs) And I also found that going to that college didn't really make or break me, right? Like I, I think I would have been successful regardless. And also I pivoted and decided not to work in the film industry anymore. I did continue to do video. And so I, I want to dig up that video and see if I did, in fact, document that rejection experience because I do remember being disappointed, but it went away. And that's part of the point that I want to make here today. But it is interesting to hear for you, Jason, that you got accepted because not only did I get rejected from NYU, 
But let's see, I think there was at least one other in that round of college applications. And then there were also another round of schools because I thought about transferring out of Emerson. I think it was my sophomore year of college. I got really determined to move to Los Angeles and I was just so eager to move here and start my film career. And I thought like, all right, well, I'm kind of stuck in Boston right now. (laughs) I'll apply to other film schools in Los Angeles. So I also applied to UCLA, USC, and maybe even the University of Santa Barbara. And I think all three rejected me as a transfer student, (laughs) which I haven't thought about that much. But it wasn't that big of a deal because shortly after that, I enrolled myself in Emerson College's Los Angeles program. And that's actually become like a really cool benefit of that school. At the time, they had like this temporary campus. And so it was like part of another building. And we went and stayed our like, quote, dormitories were in this cool apartment complex that at the time was called the Oakwoods. And now it's called like Ava or something. And it's so well known that you see it used in the background of TV shows. Like I think I just saw it on This Is Us the other day. Ton of Netflix shows. This one called Love actually used that as part of their set. Anyways, Oakwoods, which is again, renamed now, but it's a very well-known apartment complex. And so it was really neat to be able to do that. Anyways, Emerson over time launched their own building or created their own building. And now they have like this incredible campus in Los Angeles. So long story short, a lot has changed and I eventually made it to LA. But before that happened, I was rejected. And rejection is so interesting because as I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, there can be that physical discomfort, which is really where I want to talk about. But I also think it's worth mentioning that Rejection can sometimes cause us to give up. Sometimes it it causes us to feel very motivated. Sometimes it doesn't really have much of a long-term effect. Like in the case of college, it didn't matter that I didn't go to NYU, UCLA, USC, all these like really well-known schools. I ended up going to a great school that became more well-known over time. And then ultimately, I don't think it really mattered. And I think that's such an important element of rejection is that it can feel Like it matters so much in the moment. It can feel so uncomfortable. It can feel shattering. I mean, of course, like with romantic relationships, this is a very common experience. I think, especially for people that are online dating, you know, rejection can happen literally every single day romantically. And that's part of the reason I don't like online dating because rejection for me is uncomfortable, even though logically I know all of these things that I just shared about it it still feels very uncomfortable. And that's part of the reason that I want to explore it today. Well, I'm curious, what is the emotional componentry of the feeling of rejection for you? In other words, what is it triggering? Is it triggering a feeling of not enoughness, of deficiency? Does it spring you into the comparison trap? I'm curious, Whitney, for you, when you feel this physical sensation, well, two questions, because I want to talk about my perspectives, but what are the characteristics and the feelings physically in your body? Is it heat, warmth? You know, do you get sick to your stomach? And then the original question is, what do you think are the emotional building blocks under this rejection for you? What is it triggering for you? 
Well, I described the physical sensations of shame and embarrassment a bit in that other episode, which we'll link to in the show notes. If you haven't visited our website yet, you can go to wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And I'm trying to think if there's a difference between those sensations I described before, because I feel like shame and embarrassment and rejection are similar sensations for me, at least, which is, I think it is some heat. It's hard to share now, Jason. Like (laughs) Now that you gave those examples, I'm like, am I just saying this because you shared that? But I definitely feel a lot of discomfort, like a, a panicky sensation. And I think I feel a lot of shame within rejection. Like that's where my brain goes. It's like, you got rejected. You must have done something wrong. There's also in this panic process for me, a desire to fix things really quickly. Like I want to recover from it. I either want to like get over it as quickly as possible, or I want to change something to make it better, to improve it, to maybe affect the outcome. And there are, of course, certain situations that you can't change. Like in most cases, when you apply to a college, for example, and you get rejected, you can't really change their minds. Like maybe you can. I don't know. It could be different too these days. But in terms of like romantic interest, I suppose, like that's a little bit different. Like, and, and again, maybe you might not actually be able to change somebody's mind, but I think a lot of people believe that they can change somebody or change the outcome of something, do it over again, get another chance. And sometimes that feels really empowering. And sometimes I feel like that makes things worse. This idea that like, ooh, maybe if I can just do something differently, I can change it. I can control it. And so my brain kind of goes through all of these different experiences and these thought processes in order to cope, I suppose. Like ultimately, I think that's my coping mechanism is I feel that physical sensation of like, heat and tingling and just like wanting to crawl out of my skin, I suppose. And then my brain like goes to work. It's like, ooh, how can I fix this? How can I make this better? I think the point that you raised about trying to change people, it's it's really interesting, right? Because why do we do that? Why do we try and and convince someone who may or may not have their mind made up? I mean, what does that even mean? We're changing how we feel and we're changing our thoughts and we're you know, it's it, <laughs> that phrase is, I've got my mind made up forever. Like, is this your position forever? I, I do think, though, in the context of relationship, whether that's romantic, whether that's perhaps being rejected from an audition or a job, or as you're talking about a college entrance, Whitney, it's like, I kind of reflect on my behavior in situations in the past where I've maybe done my best to like win someone back or try and convince, you know, a casting agent like I don't know, I just think it's interesting why we feel the need to try and change someone's mind. I don't know that I have an answer. I think I'm just exploring it in real time as we do here on the podcast when we bring things up. I don't know that I have an answer for myself yet. Maybe it's because I think if I get that thing and I try and change someone's mind and I hold on to it, that will engender a deeper feeling of control for me and therefore safety which you and I have talked about, that's something for you too, right? Is the need to control to feel safe. Maybe that's part of it is if I find a way to not get the upper hand, but find a way to convince this person or see my perspective, then I will maintain some sense of control over the outcome of life. Maybe it's a control thing. How does that hit you? When you try and 
change someone's mind? What do you think it is for you? And that might be a very broad question to a very nuanced sort of thing. Well, I can definitely relate to this desire to control. And I think that word safety is really key too, because it is like a feeling of insecurity and looking for like almost feeling threatened, I suppose. Like, oh my gosh, what does this say about me that I was rejected? Like in college or with the college experience, it was like, oh, I must not be good enough. And I think that actual process of being rejected in high school is like crucial to our personal development. We are still mentally developing. Our brains are still growing and being shaped. Like we're so impressionable. We're so emotional with our hormones raging too. Like the amount of rejection that we go through at that period of our life is like actually kind of concerning when you think about it. Like given that our brains are so sensitive at that point, like I'm kind of amazed that we're even put through that process of applying to college. Like first of all, not just rejection, but also like we don't even know that much about ourselves at that age. And yet we have to determine what we're going to study in school. And like the whole course of our lives feels like it's being determined, like based on what school we go to. Like that's so much of the mentality that our school systems place on us, which is so much pressure. And so many people end up going to college because they feel like they have to, which is a very expensive process, by the way. I mean, I guess depending on what school you go to. And if you're getting a scholarship or something, but for most of us, it's really expensive. And student loans, as you well know, Jason, are a huge burden for much of your life or your family member's life, whoever's paying for it. So that aside, just the fact that you go through this process and you're spending money even just applying, you don't know if you even want what you think you want. Then you're being rejected. Like it's kind of nuts the more that I think about it. And the fact that that has that ripple effect. So, going back to my experience, I imagine that because my brain often goes to this place of not feeling good enough, that being rejected from multiple colleges might have had this long term impact on me thinking that I wasn't good enough. Like, oh, well, my grades aren't good enough. And this also mentality of like, Maybe I should have done X, Y, Z, and that, and this would have been different. And in fact, actually, I have this one coaching client right now, and one of this client's challenges is that their brain goes to this place of, well, you should have done better, and you wouldn't have been in this place. And through the process of coaching this client, I've really been reflecting on that for myself too. Because I have never really thought about it that way, Jason. I'm curious if if you have this mentality at all, because I, I bet you a lot of people do. It's not just like, I don't feel good enough now, but I can change it. Like That kind of feels more empowering. But it could be the opposite of, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. And I should have done all of these other things in order to be good enough. And because I didn't do them, that's why I'll never be good enough. Yeah, I think that's a relatable thought stream for me. I think that shows up in my life in the sense of thinking about alternate realities or parallel timelines to get kind of quantum for a second. Whether or not you, dear listener, or you, Whitney, believe in alternate timelines or simultaneous 
dimensions and alternate realities. To a degree, I believe in it. I think our sense of time and space is extremely limited. And I think that there's probably different levels of existence beyond this third dimensional physical earth realm. That's probably a different podcast episode altogether. Nonetheless, I think my version of what you're describing is it's really interesting you bring up going to film school because there are times, especially recently, I think over the past six months, where I've thought to myself, I wonder if I would have stuck with filmmaking and I would have stuck with acting. Because our paths, although they're years apart, are similar in the sense that I wanted to go to film school. I was a student filmmaker in high school. I applied to NYU. I applied to USC. I applied to UCLA. And the one place I didn't apply to that I wanted was the School of Visual Arts, which was also in New York. And it's interesting you bring all this up because you and I had, again, very similar tracks. I was about to go to NYU because I did get accepted to Tisch School of the Arts in the film program. But at that time, this was the mid-90s, my tuition was going to be over $100,000. I would have been $100,000 in debt. And at that time, I thought, you know what? That's hmm, I don't know that I want to go that route. So long story short, I ended up going to Columbia, which was still to this day kind of in that echelon of, you mentioned Emerson that you went to. It's, it's still in that kind of top five to top six film schools, art schools in the country. So I didn't go to NYU either. But for me, it was different reasons. It was financial reasons. My point is, I ruminate maybe a little too much sometimes on what if I hadn't given up my path of being a filmmaker? What if I hadn't given up my path of being an actor? And the acting thing is interesting because like over the past month, I've had two acting gigs, you know, and they just kind of came out of nowhere. And, and I've had people say to me, well, what if you just really focused on it? And I never really have, to be honest. I mean, I've, I've booked commercials over the years. I've been in one movie. I've done promo spots. I had my TV series. I've just never really like said, I'm going to hunker down and just focus on acting as a career. It's just kind of been this side hustle. And I don't know, Whitney, I, I don't know if regret is too strong of a word. I don't know if it's an appropriate word to use in this context, but I sit sometimes and I'm like, man, I wonder if I had just stuck with it. I wonder if I hadn't veered away from that course. Or I wonder if I just had, like you said, built up the experience, the tools, uh, honed my talent in a much more focused and intentional and directed way. Because I've taken acting classes over the years, you know, and I, I've done improv classes and I've worked with acting coaches and I've worked with really incredible voice coaches. But I don't know. I still sometimes think, I wonder if I were to just like, just focus on my career as a performer. I wonder what would happen. I don't know. Maybe it's probably fear that's held me back all these years because it's like, yeah, okay. Look at all my other friends that are starving artists that don't know what they're doing and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. That's a really, really long answer to your question, but it's somewhere in the realm of wondering. I don't know. It's close to regret, but it's not exactly regret. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think regret is also part of this rejection conversation. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And <laughs> I'm also glad that you brought up the performance side of it because I was actually thinking that within the past week or so, Jason, about how I feel one of your, if not your main talent is performing. Like you're a great speaker. You're great on camera. Like you just did that video recently for, um, was it American Flatbread? Is that the company? Yeah. I did a whole campaign with them. Yeah. And I mean, people just enjoy you. I think <laughs> a great majority of our podcast listeners come and listen because of you, you know, and they'll comment these things about how much they adore you and all of that. And I think that you just draw people in. You're, you're charismatic and 
it just comes naturally to you. And I think that that's actually a huge differentiation. And I have a feeling that you, it kind of makes sense if you look at your career path as you shared in, I think it was our second episode ever, which we'll put in the show notes when you told your life story and what led you up to this podcast. For the listener, if you haven't gone that far back on our show, we encourage you because you can hear us talk more. And, and I have one as well. But if you're here for Jason, you can listen to his episode. And if you don't know me at all, if you're not familiar with me because you came here from Jason, then maybe you want to listen to my episode as well to find out who the heck I am. But for you, Jason, you know, if I recall your career as a chef and as a content creator slash influencer really stemmed from your abilities to be on camera and your abilities to make people happy and and getting into the whole chef world does involve a lot of performance for you. When you brought me to your school that you went to for being a chef, it felt kind of performancey. If I remember correctly, didn't you have to like get up in front of the class a lot and like share recipes or something like that? Didn't they have like a whole like camera set up? Am I remembering remembering this correctly, Jason? 100%. Yeah. And I, I do have to give a lot of love and appreciation to the Living Light Culinary Institute, which was the culinary school I graduated from in 2005. Whitney and I went up for a trip in 2012 to Mendocino, which is where the culinary school still is. And yeah, they had a whole and still do have a whole, I'm not even sure what you would call it. It's a curriculum within the chef's training of being on a camera and learning how to present. And I mean, at that time, YouTube was like four months old. So it wasn't necessarily like do this for YouTube. It was almost at that time, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, it was the idea of wanting to get you comfortable to do food demos, going to your local, I remember the saying like, well, if you want to do food demos at your local natural grocer, like little did we know what this whole thing would explode and mutate into a decade and a half later. But the cool thing with that school was they were like, okay, if you've never been on camera before and you've never presented a recipe, I mean, I remember people being terrified. And for good reason, a lot of people, I think, get into the culinary arts that are introverts because they can focus on the recipe, they can be in the back of the house, they can be doing their thing in the kitchen. But Living Light was very forward thinking in the sense that they wanted to put people in front of a camera to get them more comfortable, not only presenting to an audience, which was an entire classroom of culinary students but getting people used to doing cues on camera and playing to multiple cameras. So your memory is very, very correct in the sense that I think they went way beyond other culinary schools with that kind of training. And it definitely set me up for success because I started my YouTube channel just a few short years later. And again, Facebook, Twitter, the whole giant behemoth that is social media now where everyone's on camera. So I think, boy, if I had to condense down what I think that I am at the core I remember Trudy Green, who you know as well, who's this incredible, legendary music manager. She actually currently manages Jay Shetty. But I remember years ago, I was at a gathering with Trudy and she's like, Jason, you know what you are at the core? Like, yeah, you're this chef and you do all this acting, blah, blah. She's like, you're an entertainer. No matter what you do, at the core of your being, you're an entertainer. And I remember hearing that from her and going, you know what? I think she's right. Like, no matter what medium I want to be in or endeavor to be in, I want to entertain the shit out of people. Like that brings me a lot of joy. I remember 
after that conversation with her that you did get more determined. And I think that's when you started looking into voiceover work. And I'm kind of curious, Jason, like why you go through these phases of approaching it and then backing away and distancing yourself because it keeps coming back to you. Like these opportunities to perform come up over and over and over again. And you always say yes to them. And I think you say yes because you really love it. Unlike I think sometimes you say yes to chef work, let's be honest, purely out of the financial benefits. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I think that you say yes to entertainment opportunities mostly out of passion with the added benefit of the finances. So I'm curious, yeah, why don't you pursue it more if you have so much passion and natural ability and experience? Like, I mean, you've already got your proverbial foot in the door, you know, like you're in SAG, like you have enough on your resume to quote impress people or show people that you're you're not just like some amateur and you have connections and you have the know-how and like there's so much there for you that a lot of people don't have if they have a desire to get into acting and per- and various forms of performing. So I'm curious like in general why you were not going after it more like if you want to expand upon that and B like whatever happened with you doing voiceover work. Well, I started working with a voiceover coach and started cutting demos for it. I realized that it didn't really light me up per se. I was reading these commercials and I was auditioning and I actually started to go out on voiceover auditions through casting director I knew and I don't know, it didn't light me up. It didn't really I don't know, spark that thing in me. There's something about being on a stage or being in front of a camera that lights me up and sparks something in me in a different way that just being on a microphone didn't. And maybe it was the context, you know, of like, okay, you know, here I am on an audition for Glad Cling Rap or whatever. And it's like, I would try and get into these things and I would do an okay job, but I just wasn't that passionate about it of reading these commercials. So I dip my toe in and it doesn't mean I won't ever pursue it again. I just, I went to, I think, maybe 20 different coaching sessions and had three or four or five auditions. And I was like, eh, this is okay. You know, when you start to get into something and you start to do it, and there's sort of a natural passion that starts to develop of like, ooh, there's something in this that I feel is activating or igniting something in me. It's sort of an undeniable thing. And I feel like once I dip my toe in to a certain point and I don't start to feel a spark, I'm like, eh. I don't know that I want to spend more time, money, and focus on this thing if I'm not feeling lit up by it. And in terms of you know pursuing a full-time career as a performer, I think that for me, there's a part of me that doesn't believe in myself. I mean, I'm just being totally real. There's a part of me that looks around at, and for some reason with performing gets way, I get way too deep in the comparison trap in the sense that I look at friends of ours like I don't know, our friend Ellie or Ryan or Candace. I mean, I, I don't want to call, but people that have been in the industry for a long, 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 long time. And I look at their resume and I look at what they've done on TV and movies and that, whatever. And I'm just like, do I want to try and climb that mountain? Because that's a huge fucking mountain and it's a scary mountain. And I don't know that I want to even jump into that. There's something about acting too where I don't know. I feel like this is just a really interesting timing for this conversation because I'm trying to really get clear about what it is I want to be focusing on moving forward, Whitney. And I feel increasingly disillusioned with the vegan community. I feel increasingly disillusioned with the wellness community. And I kind of feel like I want to get clear about where I want to take my entertainment career because I'm starting to feel like a lack of satisfaction with what I've been doing the last 15 years. I mean, I've talked about this in so many previous podcasts, but I guess my answer to you is. I don't believe in myself enough as an entertainer. 
I just don't. I don't believe in myself enough. That's so interesting because, first of all, I'm grateful for your transparency and your honesty with this because I think it's very relatable. And I think not believing in ourselves is a a very common experience. And it does tie into this whole conversation around rejection because sometimes we don't believe in ourselves because of rejection. I was actually reflecting on this today. And part of the inspiration that I had for this conversation was a couple email experiences I had recently. One, I can't remember if we talked about on the podcast or not. I think that we touched upon it briefly. So I'll just summarize really quickly that we had invited this one guest on our show. This person said yes initially, but didn't book a time to record with us. So I followed up a few months later and their response had changed. It went from being a yes to a no. And I don't know what happened because part of me was like, oh, that's interesting. I would think it would go from a no to a yes, not from a yes to a no, because we've made a lot of improvements and grown a lot as the show. Like I think our value is constantly increasing over time because of the work we're putting into this. So it caught me a bit off guard. But then again, I have no idea what this person is going through in their life. But what really made that email challenging was that the way that they worded the no was I'm being, this is what they said, not exactly, but they said something along the lines of, I'm being more selective about the shows that I'm on. And so it did feel like a rejection, which I interpreted as your show isn't good enough for me. Right. And it wasn't even about numbers. Like this person doesn't know how many listeners we have or anything. There was just something that no longer resonated with them. And from a outside perspective, it's like, okay, well, next, move on, like just another form of rejection. But it does sting, even if you logically know to just move on from it. And then this person took it to another level of like kind of asking more about our qualifications. And it was just like this whole email filled with what I perceived as rejection and ultimately perceiving myself as not good enough, right? Because some people could have read that email, Jason, and just thought like, again, next or, okay, great. Like you're just telling us no, that's fine. But someone like me reads that email and goes a level deeper and thinks like everything that this person is saying is indicating that I'm not good enough. And similar to you, Jason, it's tying into this like doubting myself, doubting my abilities. Like we get these reflections from other people about who we are and we can internalize them and interpret them as evidence that we're not good enough. And I can definitely see how that could happen in the entertainment world. So what I would really love to get into is, were there any experiences for you, Jason? I don't know that there's any specific incidents per se. I mean, one stands out, but it's not, it's not something I reflect on in the sense of, oh, well, that was the thing that really made me not believe in myself. But one thing came to mind when you asked that question. When I was living in Chicago, going to Columbia, and I was acting, I was doing theater, I was auditioning, and I actually got an audition through one of my improv teachers at Columbia to audition for the cast of Second City. And I remember auditioning for Second City and getting rejected. And they're like, yeah, you're not, <laughs> and you know, for me, Second City was like, the thing. I mean, thinking about all of the Saturday Night Live stars and all of the incredible comedians who had come through Second City. It's really the original legendary improv school in that style of acting. I mean, there's so many that have come since, you know, Groundlings and 
UCB and but Second City is the OG. I mean, Second City, you can Google it and see how many incredible performers and actors and people have come through there. So that was the first time I remember, I think, God, what was I, 21, 22? And here I am with this full head of steam and I'm like, I'm the shit. And I had been doing improv around Chicago and doing really well. So when I auditioned for Second City and got rejected, I was like, fuck. You know, it was kind of my first big swing in my acting career of like, oh, you know, Second City's this big deal. And it didn't happen. And it really crushed me. It really, really crushed me because I, I went in there feeling really good and really confident about it. But when I say crushed me, it wasn't the thing that was like, I'm never going to act again. It was just that's the first time I remember being a young performer, like I said, 21 or 22, and having my ass kicked. I think for me, I started to talk myself out of it, Whitney, because I met all kinds of performers at different levels. And people were like, it's a hard road, man. If you want to go this route of being you know, an improv actor and a theater performer. And I remember feeling dissuaded by acting coaches. I had this one acting coach and I've talked about her in a previous episode early, early on in our podcast. Her name was Nancy Schieber. And I was working with her in Chicago and we were discussing careers. And I remember one time she mentioned something. She's like, yeah, well, we all thought we were going to be famous. And it was this whole thing of just like, ooh, it sounds like there's a lot of regret and animosity. And, and I started to just kind of like pick up on some people that were either on one end of the spectrum of being like super naive and super excited and young like I was, and then people who had been acting for 20, 30 years or more and being a little bit, <laughs> I don't know, like, are you sure you want to do this as your career? Because it kind of sucks. And I think I just listened to other people. And I think I listened to other people not purposely dissuading me because you're a bad actor or you're not a good entertainer. It was never, I never had kind of like a Gary Oldman experience. Gary Oldman is one of my favorite actors of all time. And if you look into sort of his genesis as an actor, and he's one of the people I admire the most with his abilities and his career arc. And in school, one of his acting teachers was basically like, you should just give up. You should just stop and not do acting. And you look at what Gary Oldman has done, what he continues to do. Thank God he didn't listen to that person. I never had someone look at me and go like, you're a shitty actor. You're, you're a shitty performer. You ought not do this. It was more, Whitney, that I started to look at how many people were disillusioned and kind of their spirits were broken and they're like, Ugh, I don't know if you want to do this. People who had been in the industry for a long time seemed beaten down and kind of broken by it. And I was like, fuck, I don't know if I want to do this. And so I think I listened to other people and observed their career paths, and they didn't seem all that happy. I've talked about a few times on the show how I've, I had that experience with filmmaking too, so I can completely relate to it. It's interesting though, the difference being that I don't have a massive desire to go back into the film industry. And as I've said in, in at least one, of the, one other episode, I feel close enough to the film industry a, because we live in Los Angeles, B, because as you mentioned, Jason, we know a number of people that work in film that I can kind of have my secondhand um, experiences, if that makes sense. Like I can hear about the experiences and get, get the scoop on things. And, you know, if it wasn't COVID, I could go to set with some of these people and like get enough of that experience to feel fulfilled. You know, as I mentioned, before, uh, again, in other episodes about filmmaking, I think a lot of the draw to me was not just the process of making videos, which I do every day now, or most days through TikTok and 
sometimes YouTube, Instagram, et cetera. You know, I can make those videos anytime. It's incredibly fulfilling. And if I really want to have that experience of like working in the industry, I can go do that through people I know. And so it's different that from you because I don't know if that would quite be as fulfilling. Like for you, there's not many outlets. You know, it's also gives me another question of, okay, like if the industry itself kind of makes you cautious, I wonder why you don't do more performing outside of being Jason Robel on Instagram. I'm curious like why you don't do more skits or even why you don't do more like singing. I was thinking the, the other day as I was looking over the footage from our launch party for the podcast, which was in December 2019. And you did this wonderful singing performance. And you've talked so many times about wanting to do more music. And you said that you were going to do more videos. And you said that you might even record an album and release it. And you know, you've talked a lot about these things that you could do on your own that wouldn't involve this challenge of the industry, right? The challenge of having to deal with rejections through auditions or being on set and those things that can be kind of unpleasant. We are very fortunate to have this time with YouTube and Spotify and TikTok and Instagram and on and on all of these avenues that you could just do it all on your own and let kind of the world decide if they want to support you or not. I mean, you know, I'm very surprised that you haven't embraced TikTok, for example. Like that right now, to me, is the ultimate place to create your own career as a performer. And I'm interested in what is your resistance? What stops you from just making all of this content? I think that there's a part of social media that I don't want people's validation anymore the way I used to in the sense of like releasing music or releasing skits or all that. It's like, it's the internal dialogue of, am I doing this because there's something in my heart that I really want to create and release into the world no matter what people think? Or am I doing this because I think it'll make people laugh? Like, oh, I've got, you know, you and I joke all the time that I have this kind of catalog of songs about our animals. And we always laugh at these inside jokes because I've created so many songs about the animals. It's like, oh, are you going to do an album of like animal songs? And I think about that sometimes, like, wouldn't that be fun? But it's like, I think the reason I'm not creating right now, Whitney, is because I want to be really clear about why I'm creating. Am I creating because I feel, again, that I have something that I need to express to, like it's a burning desire that needs to be expressed in the world? Or is it more that, oh, this will get a laugh. This will get people's attention. This will make people validate me. This will get a reaction out of people. But I think that's about shifting it. Like You're aware of that. But, I, but coming back to my question, if you love performing, why wouldn't you just perform and not be dependent on other people's reactions? Because I think that part of my desire to perform and gravitational pull toward being a performer and entertainer since I was a very small child was, and I've talked about this in previous episodes, that if everyone's laughing and everyone's entertained and everyone's happy and I'm the source of that, I'm bringing that energy, then I'll never be rejected. I'll never be abandoned. People will love me because I'm the brightest light in the room. And I think part of my desire my entire life to be the brightest light in the room, I walk into a party, I am on stage. It's like, I'm about to blow y'all's motherfucking minds because I know that if I do, I'll get a lot of love, right? I don't want to operate that way anymore. I don't want to perform 
it's like where I'm at right now, Whitney, is I need to re-landscape and figure out a more sustainable approach to being an entertainer and a performer because operating out of that mode that I've been in most of my life, which is I make you laugh, I make you smile, I make you happy. Well, guess what? Jason doesn't get rejected or abandoned or shunned then. I don't want to do things for that reason anymore. I don't want to do things out of this needy place of I need to be the one making you laugh and and lighting your life up because I'm secretly wanting something from you in exchange. That doesn't feel good to me anymore. Does that make sense? Like I need to, I want to perform and I want to entertain, but I don't want to do it from that place anymore. It does make sense. But I also think you're very conscious of that, but there seems to me like another level to this. And as you mentioned, we're exploring this in real time because it almost seems to me that maybe it's kind of more the opposite or something if I'm trying to word this properly. So it feels like you're saying that you recognize that you felt motivated to get people's attention because that getting people's attention makes you feel like you're not being rejected. Like attention protects you from rejection. But I wonder my brain would would operate a little bit better in this moment if I could write this down. <laughs> so I'm trying to like visually look at these words to make them make sense. So I apologize. This is confusing, but maybe you'll get where I'm going with this, Jason. It's like, maybe it's not what you think it is. Because it almost sounds to me like you're trying to detach from your ego. Like, oh, my ego is so wrapped up in getting people's attention. But I wonder, though, if that's like a cover for you for not acknowledging your fear of rejection in a way. Like, because you kind of just said that you do feel rejection. So you have coped with not being rejected by being a performer. But now you're saying you don't want to be a performer. And, but maybe you don't want to be a performer because you are still afraid of being rejected. Does that make any sense? Kind of. But it's not that I don't want to be a performer, it's that I don't want to be a performer that is needy for shit from people. Like I'm going to produce this piece of content or do this performance or go on tour or do this skit because I'm trying to elicit something from you. Energy, love, comments, something. I mean, in fact, it's almost like this, okay? When I put out content and people respond in a certain way or react in a certain way, that's favorable. And I don't necessarily like what I've created, Whitney, There's no amount of praise. There's no amount of positive comments. There's no amount of like, you did such a great job. That was so great. And if I don't feel it's great, it doesn't fucking matter because I don't feel it's great. Like that, the praise from people I've noticed doesn't penetrate. It doesn't, it's not like nourishment like it used to be for me because maybe, and and another thing that's at play here is I'm way too hard on myself. I've always been too hard on myself because I set a standard for myself that is often unattainable in terms of my creative life specifically. And this has hindered my creative expression in so many ways. I have to take responsibility for this because I'm so hard on myself because in my mind's eye or in my heart, I have this vision of what I think something ought to be. So when I record music or I've done whatever, the end product, I'll end up being like, eh, this isn't what I wanted it to be. And I think my frustration wrapped up in this is that the standard I have in my mind of what I feel is satisfying or fulfilling is very different than other people. And as I said, if people are like heaping praise on me of like, you did great, this was amazing, holy shit. And I'm like, eh, it's probably because I'm still too hard on myself, right? 
Absolutely. And I think actually this is on a simple level, not to say that this truly is simple, but a simple way to reflect on this, Jason, is that you are simply in the habit of thinking that way. I have been studying habits a lot. Like that's something I keep getting drawn to over and over again. In fact, in my Beyond Measure group, we are spending the month of February focusing on this book called Atomic Habits. I'm really excited about that. And as I mentioned in a recent episode, I've been reading Jen Sincero's new book about habits. And so I'm deep in this world. And one of the things that keeps coming up, Jason, which I know you know, but like if we really go deep with this on this situation that you're expressing, it sounds to me like you're just in the habit of not feeling good enough and being disappointed with yourself. And I'm surely am too. I mean, this is part of why I was drawn to discussing this as I like acknowledging this. I've been reflecting a lot of my own mental habits and they are really hard to break. So I'm curious, Jason, like what if you became dedicated to this, dedicated to simply accepting yourself, like making it a very conscious effort? For example, I do this with my body. Currently, at the time of this recording, I have been feeling really frustrated with my body. I don't want to say disappointed because, again, I'm trying to get out of the habit, but that's in essence how I had been feeling. But I'm moving away from that because it's not serving me to feel that way about my body. I was triggered because I noticed by stepping on a scale that I had gained weight, as many people have during COVID. And I'm on a big mission to not define myself based on my weight. That's, you know, I've mentioned beyond measure a few times on the show. That was one of the big inspirations. Like, who am I beyond my measurements? I'm so much more than that. Just like you're talking about, Jason, you are so much more than the praise you get through likes and comments, right? We define ourselves so much through measurements that it doesn't serve us, right? So we need to take that personal responsibility. In my case, I'm trying to look in the mirror and focus on what I like about my body and then also train myself daily to embrace the parts that I haven't liked. And my hope is if I can get into the habit of loving my body, no matter how much I weigh, no matter what I look like that day or that month or whatever span of time, if my daily practice is centered around loving it no matter what, maybe I can train myself and create this positive habit. And I'm curious, Jason, if you could do the same thing. Like, What if you got into the practice of, and again, a daily practice, because this is going to be how you would get more effects of it, of like not allowing yourself to say or even think those things, catching yourself when you do. One more example for you. Speaking of TikTok, I'm currently in a TikTok program right now where I am making a video on average every single day. And this is a big increase for me because I was not feeling great about my own content on TikTok for a while. And I allowed myself to get into analysis paralysis. I allowed myself to get in the perfection cycle of, I don't know what to create, so I'm just not going to create anything. I'm going to keep waiting. This isn't the perfect idea, so I'm going to delay it. Well, I noticed that. I didn't feel like that was serving me. So I joined a program that gave me some guidelines and in essence, requires me to make a lot of content. 
And through that process, Jason, I'm learning to not be attached to anything. Because I have a minimum number of videos I have to create on TikTok right now, I just have to create them and not worry about the outcome, not worry about how many views they get, how many likes, how many shares, all of these other metrics. I'm just in the process of creating. And sometimes I create something that I feel proud of. And sometimes I create something and I'm like, eh, that wasn't very good, just like you're expressing. But sometimes it's very therapeutic to just keep doing it anyways because then we get into the habit. And I've noticed, Jason, after just a few days of doing this for TikTok, my confidence is going up. And I, again, I am less attached to whatever those metrics are, just like the same things happening with my body. It's like every day I look at myself and go, I love myself. I love my body. I'm okay the way that I am. And I'm not just okay. Like I am a beautiful person. And I have a beautiful body that's serving me, like all of these positive things that I know you as Jason Robel, you know to do these things, right? But have you committed to them, Jason? I mean, that's my big question. Are you willing to commit to them as we're in the beginning of 2021? Like, what if you were ultra committed to this because you just identified that this is a huge challenge for you? I think it depends on the methodologies because. For me, I would want to experiment with things that I haven't yet tried. In the sense of my feelings of not feeling good enough, there's been a lot of therapy dedicated to it. There's been a lot of plant medicine experiences. And there's also been affirmations, you know, of looking in the mirror and positive self talk. But I'm talking about specifically your performances, Jason. Like I'm talking about you making content. Because that's exactly what you were saying. Like, my question to you originally was, well, why aren't you performing? The first phase of that is, well, I don't want to go through the experience of auditioning and being in this industry. Okay. Well, if we put that aside, there's still that option of you creating your own content and putting that out there, to which you said that you don't want to be dependent on other people's praise. And you're also noticing that you never feel satisfied. Have you tried? Like I, I know there's traditional therapy, of course, that you've gone through and affirmations. I know you've done that. But have you tried creating content frequently, no matter what you think of it and no matter how people are reacting to it? And like, I'm not talking about just general content. I'm talking about like you singing and you perhaps doing skits or whatever, like however you want to perform, whether it's for TikTok or not or whatever else. I'm just bringing up TikTok, not only because I'm in this program right now, but I think it's the best platform right now that we have for performances, whether it's music, acting, education, like all these different avenues. I've been encouraging you for a year, Jason, to do it and you keep resisting it. And that's fine if you don't like the platform, but you could choose any platform to do this on. And I just don't see you doing it consistently. So I'm asking, like, would you be open to creating consistent performance content and working through these challenges that you're having emotionally. Yeah, I think it would be beneficial. I think that there would be a certain process of, I don't know if healing is the right word, but producing things and not fucking caring about it. I mean, really. And when I say not fucking caring, I mean, I'm going to release this thing. And what if I train myself to not care what people think? And what if I train myself to not care what I think? Honestly. Exactly. There was this interesting interview years ago, I remember reading with John Lennon. And the interviewer was asking John Lennon about his music. 
and I'm paraphrasing because I don't know if I can find this interview. I'm sure it's on the internet somewhere, but John Lennon made a comment about the fact that he didn't even like his own voice, but that he had this music, this art coming through him and his desire to serve the art and his desire to put this stuff out in the world was more important than his opinion about his own voice. You know, he even said, he's like, I don't really like the sound of my own voice. Like I'll listen back to recordings sometimes and be like, Ugh. you think about some of the greatest Beatles songs and some of the greatest solo songs that John Lennon recorded. It's like, in my opinion, his voice perfectly fit most of the music he wrote, but his opinion of his voice was like, he didn't like it, but he had something that had to come through him. Right? So I, I think about that from time to time. And especially in this conversation, of what if it doesn't matter whether or not I like my own voice? What if it doesn't matter whether or not I even like what I put out? What if it's just a matter of me, I don't know, being messy and giving no fucks? Maybe that's my mantra for the new year, Whitney, is be messy and give no fucks. And that's exactly why I keep encouraging you to go on TikTok because TikTok is about that. And so my next question for you, and again, like, I don't know if this is coming off strangely or like, I mean, I clearly love TikTok, right? Like, and it's not like I have this agenda to get everybody on TikTok, but I'm very, very committed to getting you on TikTok. And I'm willing to let go of that desire, Jason, eventually. But I'm still like perplexed as to why with everything that you just said and everything that I know that you are and I know that TikTok is like, what is it that you're so resistant to on TikTok? I don't know that it's TikTok necessarily as much as it is, and you know this about me. When another platform comes out, it's like eye roll for me. It's like I would totally get that, Jason, if it weren't for my deep research on TikTok. I mean, I've been studying TikTok hardcore for now 14 months because I got onto TikTok in October 2019 simply out of curiosity. And at that point, Jason, I would totally get what you're saying about this eye roll. Like I kind of begrudgingly got onto TikTok, but I quickly saw how different that platform is. And it has been nonstop examples. And I'm not just saying this for you, Jason, I'm saying this for the listener too. Like there was an issue at the beginning of 2020 around privacy, but we just found out in December 2020 that like Instagram's got major privacy challenges. And Instagram is like the social media darling. But now we've got TikTok, which has kind of worked through some privacy things. And again, I'm not an expert on privacy. We would refer you to people like Paul Jarvis, who we had on the show for privacy concerns. Highly recommend listening to his episode, which we will link to in the show notes at wellevator.com. And again, privacy aside, like I think it's gotten better on TikTok. I think it's gotten worse on Instagram. And so I remember people being so outraged with TikTok, like, oh, privacy, privacy, because the media was telling us all of that. Meanwhile, the app that so many people have trusted, which is Instagram and also Facebook and many other platforms, have been doing all sorts of shady things. So let's take privacy out of the equation. And I don't even think that's your concern, Jason, but this eye roll mentality that you have, like, I honestly think that you will have deep regrets for not being on TikTok as a performer. Because I believe in 2021, TikTok is going to become the social media platform. And I'm willing to be wrong about it, but I have a very, very strong instinct that's backed up by a lot of research that I've done. So you can't use that as an excuse anymore, Jason. It's not just another social media network. 
this is going to be one of, if not the main social media network very soon. If not already, it is a major player. It's just that, you know, it's taking some while for the influencer industry to pick up on it. Like influencers are starting to go on there and brands are starting to become part of TikTok. I keep seeing brands that you know and love, Jason, like including like stores in Los Angeles, like Coco Bella. I saw Monty's Burgers on there the other day. Like local businesses are getting on TikTok. You know that this is not just another social media platform anymore. Yeah, I don't know how to respond to that. Well, you probably don't know how to respond because I'm taking away all your excuses. <laughs> no, I mean, but let's let's be honest. If I don't have the motivation, Whitney, I'm not going to do it, you know, and, and I don't have the motivation. But sometimes you have to create the motivation, Jason. Like, you know this on a logic. If you were coaching somebody, you would probably say the exact same thing to them. I honestly think I'm catching you with a boatload of excuses, to be frank. I think you're catching me in a state of burnout where I just don't fucking care. <laughs> That's also accurate. Because I care about you, Jason, I also feel like sometimes burnout is an excuse. Like I believe in burnout and I totally get it. But you have done... I've noticed this throughout the entire year. And it's possible you've been burnt out the entire year, right? Like From a mental health standpoint, like I totally have compassion from you. But as your friend and your business partner and somebody who deeply believes in you, like you can't keep using these same excuses because they're no longer valid. I think really, if you are passionate about something, like you are about performing, like it's something that you come back to time and time and time again. Everybody sees that within you, Jason. I'm sure the listener does. You have a great voice on this podcast. You have a great singing voice when you perform. You are charismatic on camera. That is why people stick around. That is why people have invested in you in so many ways. They hire you. You had a TV show. Like Performing, just like Trudy says, might be your calling in life. And if you're not willing to embrace the industry and go that avenue, then doing online content is the next best option for you. And I really feel like you could throw all the other social media networks aside and do TikTok. It's like, what if, here's another question for you. Now your third excuse for not doing TikTok is burnout. But what if the antidote to burnout was performing? What if you started performing and felt so alive that TikTok became a source of joy, right? And I'm also saying this from somebody that I thought I was facing massive burnout and that's why I wasn't creating on TikTok. But when I got into this program that I'm in right now, and I, I have these rules about how much content I have to create. Now I'm finding myself fueled. So sometimes I really do feel like burnout is just a form of resistance or an excuse. I mean, it's possible. I think that I just, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but are, now are you saying I don't know is another way of, I mean, like, I think this is a helpful thing to really explore as we're doing in real time, Jason, because you might be inspiring others. I'm bringing this up now in live time because you've talked a lot about this on the podcast. We've had people that specialize in a lot of things and have had expressed the way that they're doing it. And it just feels like, I don't know, continues to be your answer. And I'm curious, like, are you truly comfortable not knowing? Like, is that a really genuine answer for you? Or is that just you? embracing a form of resistance? Like, why is it that your answer is, I don't know, inst instead of, all right, let me try this and see how it goes? 
I think it goes back to this idea of just like creating things and detaching myself from the outcome and also creating things that maybe don't have anything to do with what I've done before. I think for me that I need to start focusing on things that I haven't done before because it feels like the one thing that I don't want to do on TikTok or social media moving forward is rehash the same old shit that I've done for the last 10 to 15 years. And there's the conversation of like, well, just put stuff out and figure it out as you go, which I agree with. But there's also like this idea of throwing things into the abyss and not really knowing what I'm doing at all. Because the reality is, as I mentioned, like in the middle of this podcast, I'm really becoming more disillusioned by the day with everything that I've done before. And I don't really want to get on TikTok and do just remade versions of the same stuff. I don't want to do recipes. I don't want to do wellness content. What about you playing music? I mean, I'm not asking you to do recipes or, or that type of content, Jason. Like, This is the other big thing that people have said about TikTok is that you can go on there and no one will know that you're on there except for strangers. You could go and create a whole new account that with some gibberish name and just appeal to strangers and nobody would know that you're on there. Nobody from your Instagram, your newsletter, no one. And we could keep it secret on the podcast if that makes it easier for you. Although I feel like deep down, all of those people would be excited and supportive of you, Jason. But if it feels safer for you, that's another huge benefit of that platform. It can be secret. It can be an experiment. You can pretend that you're performing to a crowd of people in an audience that maybe never heard of you because they came to a, a musical mashup or one of those, what do they call like Bonnaroo and um, one of those concerts that you go to, there's a bunch of performers and you kind of walk around and you listen to different acts and you might discover somebody like that's basically the environment of TikTok. So no one's saying that you need to do the same old, same old. What if you did the things that made your heart sing? That's my big question. Yeah, I think the idea, honestly, of doing it, doing it as an alter ego sounds really interesting to me. Doing it as an alter ego sounds interesting. I don't know what that means, if that would mean me like wearing, I don't know, a Darth Vader mask or something. I don't know what the fuck it would be. But but you don't have to show your face. I mean, you can just have a camera set up and all people see is your hands on the guitar or yeah, maybe you are. I guess you could wear a mask and do a skit of some sort. Like you could just show your animals. Like I've sent you literally hundreds, if not over a thousand videos that I think would appeal to you, Jason. And it's, I guess it's that ongoing question. And this is why I haven't dropped it yet is because you haven't given me a satisfactory answer as to why you haven't tried it yet when this is like stuff that you really enjoy doing. Yeah, maybe I don't have a satisfactory answer. Maybe I just, I don't know. I'm not trying to give you a satisfactory answer. I just feel like just haven't felt inspired to do it. That's why I've been resisting it for a year. Hmm. I also find it interesting, like the number of times that you've said, I don't know, it's almost like a tick. And I think that's been almost your go-to phrase is I don't know. But I, I think that you do know deep down. Aside from TikTok, I'm not talking about TikTok anymore. Like, let's put that aside. No, I think all of social media, though, if I look back on like the things that I've posted or like, I think this is just part of a bigger conversation, Whitney, about my increasing dissatisfaction with social media, period, is that I'm just like, it's a complicated relationship. And at the core of it, it's like, I don't want to be beholden to do one more thing. And maybe if I start doing it and have fun with it, it'll change my relationship to right now. 
But the reality is I'm not having, quote, fun with any of it. Then what if you drop everything else and just pick one? That's the other question. You don't have to do it all. Maybe. I mean, because if I look at it, I don't really engage on Pinterest. I don't engage on Twitter. I barely engage on Facebook anymore. Maybe I could just delete all of those entirely. I mean, from a social media perspective, I wouldn't encourage you to delete them. But I mean, you certainly could. And you can do what our friends like Corbett and Paul and Chris Gillibo. And well, I don't know if Chris has actually done this yet. But Paul and Corbett, they temporarily took down their accounts. And you know, you can archive all your posts and all of that. Like, I'm not going to do all that. <laughs> I'm not going to take the time to do all that. If I'm going to detonate, I'm going to go nuclear and go all the way. But you keep saying you're going to detonate. And what, what has stopped you? Fear. Yeah. Fear of what? That I would regret it and then have to rebuild again. And that ties back into this regret conversation, right? It's like, and I think this is probably part of the challenge, Jason, from this conversation. It's starting to become a little bit more clear to me. It's like, you're saying I don't know a lot and you're sharing a lot of reasons not to do something. It's like you're allowing yourself and you're staying in this place of the unknown and the fear and the regret, all of those kind of like, as some people would call them, lower vibration energies. And I feel like that's not serving you. And I feel like people like myself and our listeners and so many people that adore you want to see you rise above. And we're all willing to see you experiment. And you can also experiment without any of us knowing. You know, For all I know, you might have already created a TikTok account with an alter ego. And you never have to tell me that, right? I just want to see you rise above the unknown and the fear. You know, this all started off with me sharing about myself because I'm not saying I've got it all figured out too. I'm certainly I struggle with this a lot. Like, I struggle with a lot of feelings of shame and rejection and not enoughness. And like, this is an ongoing thing for me too. And, and sharing this with you, Jason, and hearing you work through all of this is really inspiring to me. So, I want to thank you. And I imagine that our listeners may thank you as well because. All of us can relate to this. And when a loved one can see you in that place of being stuck, I think we're all just rooting for you to get unstuck and stop saying you don't know. Like that, I mean, that would be my next suggestion and encouragement for you is like really notice. Like you could even listen back to this episode. I don't know if it'll be trimmed out, Jason, but like I lost count of how many times you said the words, I don't know. But I think you do know deep down. Maybe it is just that fear of regret, fear of whatever else that is being reframed as I don't know. Maybe. Well, I actually like the word maybe a hell of a lot better than I don't know, Jason. So. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's all part of ongoing exploration in the sense that I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I don't know that I want to continue to use it. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. I mean, in this moment, the idea of doing TikTok it's shrug fest for me. It hasn't changed. I don't fucking care, to be quite honest, in this moment. I just don't. When I worked at Apple, they had this flexible rule, but part of our training was instead of saying, I don't know to a customer, like if someone came up to us and asked, like, hey, like, how do you use Final Cut Pro? If you've never used Final Cut Pro before, you could easily say, I don't know, but that doesn't support the customer. Instead, what we would say is, let's find out. And then we would go and we'd find somebody else in the store that did have the answer. 
So what if, Jason, you switched away from saying, I don't know, to let's find out, which is kind of like maybe, but a little bit more empowering. So that puts you in that place of being curious and experimenting and being empowered. I don't know. It's kind of like an improv, too. You're very experienced with improv. You talked about Second City. This is a natural thing for you, Jason. It's, you're great at making things up on the spot. You know that the biggest rule of improv is... Don't negate. There you go. So maybe you've been negating yourself and your life and your potential so much. And you're in the habit, coming back to that part too, you're in the habit of negating. And that's probably part of your tendency, right? You're a rebel. We've talked about this in many episodes. Maybe you have that tendency of negating, but you're negating yourself and that isn't serving you. So maybe you put that on your (laughs) affirmation, visualization, 2021 board, whatever you're creating or not creating this year. But what if your new mantras don't negate? That's a double negative. Okay, what is it then? What's the negate thing? No, I'm saying don't negate is a double negative. (laughs) But that's the rule of improv, right? Correct, yeah. So couldn't that be your mantra? Sure, it could be one of them. Mm -hmm. I'm open to trying different things, but I also feel like I'm in this weird space of like being open and also kind of like whatever. (laughs) It's a weird space, Whitney. I'm open, but I'm also just kind of (sighs) like... But that whatever is kind of like saying, I don't care and I don't know. It's still like the shrugging, the mad, the whatever, the I don't know, I don't care. All of that mentality, how is that helping you? How is that making you feel the way that you want to feel? Or do you actually want to feel that way? I guess that's the next question. Maybe I do. Maybe I'm so disillusioned with all of it that I need to feel this way so that I can come out of it. And if I don't allow myself to feel this level of disillusionment, it's going to be disingenuous for me to continue creating because I can't keep creating from the same space I've been creating from because it doesn't feel genuine. It doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel like me anymore. So perhaps this is a stage of me being like, all right, well, I need to figure out what place I can come from within myself so that I can feel joyful again about it. And I can feel like there is a sense of authenticity around it because I haven't felt that way for a long time. And I'm hesitant to keep creating because I want to make sure it's coming from a place inside of me that feels good. Because the place that I've been creating from doesn't feel good anymore. Well, isn't podcasting creating? I mean, why do you do this show? I think it's of service to people. So there you go. You are creating and you are being of service. So you're already in the process of that. Well, I guess I am then. Yeah. I mean, this is why I think it's a habit and an opportunity to shift some habits is that you're in the habit of thinking that way. So you don't even notice the places where you are creating. I mean, you do create a lot, Jason, like you, and I think it's reframing creation. Like you kind of have to step out of it and maybe literally step out of it. Like you keep talking about, but if you have to be committed to it, if you're actually going to step out of it. So it could be putting up a post that I've seen people do where they said, I'm taking the whole year off and that's it. That's your rule. But that means that you're not taking on any more job opportunities like you have. You have to sit down and look at the pros and cons and be truly committed to it. Now, no one's going to force you to do it one way or another, but it is about being integrity with your words. So if you're going to tell people that you're not going on social media, you have to be committed to that. Otherwise, you're out of integrity if you've come back. And you have to realize that that might mean losing some job opportunities. I mean, is that would that be okay with you? Because you do make money through social media. 
Yeah, I think I need to really get clear on it. And the reason that I haven't taken a sabbatical is because I'm not fully clear about what I really want. It's a conflict. I want to sustain myself. I want to make money. I want to pay off debt. I want to move out of California. I want to buy a house. That requires money. But at the same time, I want to have a healthier and more balanced relationship with social media, whether that means reduction, getting off certain platforms or getting off of it completely. I don't have the answer yet for myself. And I'm committed to finding the answer. And as you said, I'm very, very clear that I need for myself to be in full integrity with my decision. So I haven't made a decision yet on what the next phase of that relationship is because I don't want to make a decision that is unclear or a rushed or irrational decision and then break integrity with myself. So until I get clearer on what it is I want to do, I'm just going to keep feeling through it and figure it out for myself, you know? Well, how do you feel after this conversation? Hmm. It's food for thought. I mean, I, I really, I want to go take a long walk after this and kind of process it and see how I feel. But for me, I think it comes down to Whitney that I want to create from a place that is more sustainable and authentic and not based on the same motivations that I've created with in the past. I think I'm just trying to get clear on what I want to create and make sure that it's coming from a place that feels integral to me and coming from a place where I'm not trying to get the same things that I've gotten from people in the past. It's almost like I wish that I could create and not have anybody comment or like. <laughs> Maybe I just need to put things on Vimeo then. I don't know. You can't turn off likes on most platforms, but you certainly can turn off comments. Yeah. Maybe that's one thing that I need to do moving forward is just turn off comments. I don't know. I'm exploring this in real time as we do on the podcast. I feel like this conversation just giving me more to contemplate, but I think that the overall feeling that I have is I want to just make sure that whatever I'm creating and initiating feels in alignment with me, that I'm making the decision for myself and not making the decision for anyone else. Coming from the place of making sure that in my heart, I'm doing it for the right, the quote, right reasons, and that's for me to determine. So it's just an ongoing exploration. And I don't know, we will see what happens. I think it's looking at my resistance and looking at where I'm stuck and seeing where I can... Uh, I just need to re-landscape my whole relationship to all of this shit, really is what it comes down to. You said that, so now I want to know how. Like, What are the next steps for you? Well, like I said, I need to figure out whether that's getting off of certain platforms or taking a complete break or how long that break is going to be. I just feel like I'm not clear on what that is yet, and I don't know how to get more clear other than just like feel into it. You know, I think part of my body on a somatic level is going to tell me what feels right and doesn't feel right. Right now, putting out more content and being in this like furious pace of like putting out content, the thought of it doesn't bring me joy. To your point, maybe if I start doing it, maybe the joy will come. I don't know. Who the fuck knows? I don't know, Whitney. Again, I'm in a point, it's almost like a human relationship with all of this where I'm like, I don't want to talk to you right now. Just let me be alone and figure it out. <laughs> That's how I kind of feel with my creativity and social media and this whole thing is just like, I just need to be left alone. But you're not being left alone if you're still creating content. So that's my follow-up to that question is like, if you truly do want to be alone, like, what does that look like for you? Like, is that blocking things off your calendar? Is that not going on platforms? Like, I mean, to hold you accountable for this, which is important to me because we're doing this podcast together, but I really obviously care about you a lot as my best friend. And you've been in this place for a while. So I'm here to be your accountability buddy. I'm sure our listeners are. I'm sure so many people in your life are there to hold you accountable for this. How are you going to create a container of being left alone? 
I mean, I think that having some sort of fast and a detox and stepping away from it is in order. I do think that's true. Like what? At least a month off. At least. Starting when? Probably sometime in January, February. We have a bunch of guests and a bunch of episodes we're committed to. But I really think for my mental health, I think taking a break from creating period is going to be a smart thing to do. What if you put a date on your calendar? I think Wellevator as our mutual account is different unless you want to hire somebody to (laughs) take over your tasks, which you're welcome to do, of course. But in terms of your commitment level with our business, you will be currently required to do social media because I, I can't do it all on my own. But if you want to hire somebody else or find a, a volunteer, by all means. But aside from Wellevator, Jason, like, could you put a date on your calendar to go off of all your other social media? And why don't you pick a date right now? No, because if I'm going to do it, it's going to be off of it completely. It's not just going to be, oh, and I'm going to do well. It's going to be the whole thing. It's not about picking and choosing. If I'm going to do it, it's, I'm off of it completely. Okay, well, I guess the next step is to find someone who can fill your shoes. I suppose so. (laughs) And how is that going to go? Don't know. But see, this is what happens is you keep ending in the I don't know. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'll find an intern and have the intern do it. Okay. I'm sure there's somebody out there that would want to work with me that might be good at graphic design or posting and have them do it. But if I'm going to go off, I have to go off completely, 100%. Yeah. And I think the sooner you can figure that out, Jason, the sooner you get closer to knowing the answer to this. I wonder if it feels daunting to you and that's why you haven't done it yet. If the next step is for you to pick a date to be off social media, which would require you to find somebody to fill your roles and your duties with social media. Yeah. I think after the guests that we have currently on the roster, I feel like probably February is a good time to do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying you can do it whenever you want, as long as there's somebody to support me, which is currently your role. So (laughs) if Wellevator is part of the social media equation for you, there's always going to be new guests. Like We're not going to stop having guests on the show. So you're going to have to just pick a date and have someone take over for you for a little while. And like, I'm giving you permission right now to do that. Maybe it's one of our listeners. (laughs) Maybe someone on the show wants to support you and me with getting this done, in which case we would love you to reach out to us, you know? And I, the reason that I'm encouraging you to create these next steps, Jason, is I, I believe that that's what takes you from a place of resistance and unknown into actually doing something that you really want to do. And I think sometimes it can become really daunting and we can sit in that place of, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But you do know because you just shared that. And now it's a matter of being committed and choosing what next step you're going, going to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I need to figure it out and put a post out and see if anybody's willing to take over and then just give them the duties and walk away. I mean, maybe that would be great. Like maybe that will be open up this whole new level of relief for you. You know, like this could extend well and beyond a lot of the initial inspiration for this conversation. I think sometimes, as you were saying, Jason, you need to get to this place of burnout in order to realize what you want to shed, like what layers you're willing to get rid of and and how you are going to make that happen. So do you feel better recognizing any of this that we've explored? I think it's good that I put a timeline on it for sure. And I think the idea of me stepping away completely does feel good. It really does. Rather than piecemealing it or worrying about FOMO or what might I miss out on, 
I think mentally, from a mental health perspective, I need to just step away completely from all of it for a while. I do. So now it's just putting the steps in place and the components in place to be able to do that. So with that, I guess we're wrapping, aren't we? It feels like we're getting to the end of this episode. It feels like we're getting to the end. Okay, so dear listener, if you want to dig into any of the show notes for this episode, if you've been uncomfortable or want to dig into anything, you can go to our website, which is wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And you can click on the podcast section. We'll, t- we'll take you to the show notes for this episode and all of our previous episodes. And you can follow us on social media, although I may not be the one doing it. <laughs> it may be an intern or a assistant from this point forward. But we do have a great Instagram account. We're on all the social media platforms, so you can check in on us there. And if you want to shoot us a direct email, if this episode resonated or sparked something within you, you can connect with us at hello at wellevator.com. And yeah, I'm going to go take the dog for a walk and just kind of uh, marinate on all the things we've discussed today, Whitney. It was good. It was stimulating. I'm glad to hear that. I hope it was stimulating for the listener as well. And uh, it certainly gave me a lot of food for thought and went in directions I never anticipated, which is pretty much how all of our episodes go. So mission accomplished. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 